you'll take your Bibles this morning and open to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. do not have a a copy of God's Word, excuse me, Uh, there's some few Bibles and a few back in front of you there. You can take one of those and turn to page uh, 811 and follow along with us this morning. I'm going to be talking about the subject of laying up treasure. Uh, Again, if you're a guest with us, and I've said this the last four weeks just so that everyone understands, not necessarily our members, but uh, normally the practice is to preach through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but over the last four weeks, we've been doing a series uh, of sermons on stewardship, and today is the last installment, no pun intended there, so you're grateful for that, I'm sure. You know, I find it interesting in preaching these sermons, I, you know, I, I receive comments uh, pretty regularly on sermons, which is, is good feedback for me, it helps me to know whether people are understanding and, and uh, what I might need to do to to do better at helping people understand. But I've received quite a number of comments on the subject of money, which people get very nervous about. I, I found that interesting, that people are coming and making comments to me. One of the most honest comments I've received is, I heard that sermon, I enjoyed that sermon, but that's hard. When you start talking about money, that's hard. That person's honest, right? If we're all honest, that's a hard subject to deal with, Right? We kind of like, yeah, that's mine and not yours. Back off and leave me alone. And so, but uh, I hope the idea we go away from this series is is learning that our giving and what God's given to us and our giving back to Him is, is worship. Our money, our wallets, our checkbooks, our banking accounts are not off limits as Christians to God. It's actually His. He's just letting you be a steward of it. And I'll, and the question is, will we be good stewards of what God has blessed us with? So. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we come, and we, we thank you for your grace toward us this day. God, we're grateful for this day of the week, Sunday, when it comes, because we get to gather with other believers. We get to encourage one another. We get to fellowship. We get to worship together. God, your, your word commands us. Then give us the option of whether we come or not, it commands us to gather, because this is for our good, to worship together, and so help us to do that today, help us as we study your word, God, we need your help to hear, but more importantly, God, we need your help to obey, and so help us in this, and I ask this in your son's name, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, and our King, amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones, which was a a well-known pastor who decided, well, maybe he didn't decide, God moved his heart one day that he would move from being a doctor to being a preacher, pastor. And so he tells the story, Martin Lloyd-Jones does, of a farmer who one day came into his house and his wife was in the kitchen getting prepared, preparing a meal, and he had a great big smile on his face. And the farmer announced to his wife, that their finest cow had given birth to twins, one brown and one white calf. He said, I feel the urge to dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together 
And when they're at a marketable age, we'll sell them and we'll keep the income from one and we'll give the income from the other to the Lord. As wives are prone to do, his wife went right to the issue and said, which calf is the Lord's? That'd be a good question to ask, would it not? The white one or the brown one? The farmer replied, well, there's no need to worry about that right now because we'll bring them up together and we'll decide that later on. Some months later, he entered the same kitchen, but this time he had a a different demeanor about him. Moving slowly, very sad, his wife asked why he was so gloomy, to which he replied, I have bad news. The Lord's cow died. Why is it always the Lord's cow that dies? The fact of the matter is, we all tend to left treasure on the earth, as we're going to look at here in a minute. We want to be rich toward ourselves and poor toward God. So it's usually God's cow that dies in our life. I believe Jesus speaks directly to this perspective in the life of His followers here in Matthew chapter 6. Most of us, and I I don't want to say this assumingly or in a bad way, but most of us who've been church most of our life understand that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching His followers. This is how we live. You follow me. This is how we live. And so in the main idea we're going to see today, if you look in your handout here, it says the Christian's relationship to wealth or money. Material things, money, wealth, resources, whatever word you might want to put there, but the Christian's relationship to wealth. And we'll see within that idea, Jesus called His followers to make a choice. Jesus presents us with two ways to live here, but He makes it clear that for His followers, there's really only one way that you are to live. There's two choices here, but in reality, for the follower of Christ, there's only one. Jesus here in chapter 6, verses 9 through 24, is calling His disciples, His followers, to be different from the the culture around them. That's what He's telling them in this whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is calling His followers to make a choice, and He's even calling His followers to evaluate the condition of their heart. You need to make a choice, but you need to be evaluating your heart, which should affect your choice. Jesus means for His followers, and I want to make this even more personal. Jesus means for you and me, those in this context who would call ourselves believers, Jesus means for you to engage in some serious self-evaluation here. Here's what Jesus draws attention to. This is a simple, I've given you an outline, but I'm going to give you something here that even makes this a little more simple. Jesus draws attention to three sets of twos here. If you notice that, there's two treasures, two visions, and two masters. So if you're looking at your handout here, Jesus speaks to His followers concerning two treasures in verses 19 through 21. And He says, according to your handout, be on guard concerning what you value. Two treasures. You need to be on guard concerning what you value as a follower of Christ. Verse 19, Jesus warns the Christian, do not set your heart on temporary treasure. Notice what He says there. Do not, and by the way, That is an imperative there. That's a command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
Immediately there's a command, right? Do not lay up. The command is in the present tense here. And that's very important. The act that's prohibited, the command is given, and it's already occurring. So what is Jesus saying to his followers? He's saying, stop laying up treasures. It's already going on. You're already doing it. Not when you lay up, but you're doing it now. So stop it. Don't do that. So, laying up, we need to ask ourselves, what does that mean? It's the activity here of stockpiling, accumulating for later use. In other words, wealth that is not being used, wealth that is stored up for safekeeping. Jesus is referring to excess here. That which we accumulate. He's talking about that which is beyond what we could possibly use or what we should use on ourselves. What is Jesus forbidding us from laying up here? Earthly treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus is forbidding the selfish, excessive accumulation of things. The excessive accumulation of things that makes our life more comfortable. Jesus is issuing a warning against making things that are seen, the material blessings of life, to be the things that matter most to us. That's what He's warning us against. There are a number of different ways this can happen in our own lives, right? Everyone's different as to what they value, what their earthly treasures may be. Now, I'm not going to give you specific examples for that very reason, because you know I could be here all day giving you things that you could think of that might be treasures in your life because everyone's different. But I'll give you some ways to help you discern what those earthly treasures might be. Quickly. Number one, earthly treasures are temporal things. Temporal things that you have as your first desire. Again, not assuming, not wanting to insult anyone. Does everybody understand what I mean by temporal? Temporary. It's not going to last, right? You consider these things in your mind and your heart to be the best and most useful things that you have. That's how you can discern. Number two, you're obsessed with increasing the abundance of the things which you already have. You want more of what you consider to be the best and most useful things. This is what's best and useful to you. It's temporary, but you want to increase that. You want more of those things. Third, You may want to accumulate more of the blessings that God has already given you to the point that you neglect the things that are most important in life. We're all guilty of that at times. We want this, we want these things, and we will do whatever we need to do to accumulate those things to the point of we're neglecting what could be most important in our life, which can be, in most cases, what? Our family, right? Our our spouses and our, our children. Number four... You're finding your security for the future in earthly things, in these temporal things that's not going to last. You're you're looking for your security in the future in those things. The point is that every person has a treasure. Everyone has one. Every person has a desire. Everybody has their ultimate priority in life. Everybody has something in which they delight above anything else. That is what Jesus is talking about when He speaks of earthly treasure. And for everyone in here... That could be different. Some of you are saying to yourself, I don't have to worry about this sermon because I don't have much. Some of you are thinking that. 
Well, it's not even in my vocabulary. I don't even know how to spell that word. This sermon's not for me because I have stuff, but I am by no means wealthy. That's what some of us think, right? Can I tell you something? If you leave here today and you get in an automobile and you drive down the road, regardless of what kind it is, you go home, you walk into a house, you sit down and eat food with an air conditioner running, you're some. You're among some of the most wealthy people in the world. Amen. Do you realize that the church, now that they say that the church, now in this particular period in time in history, has more wealth than the church from this point all the way back in history combined. We have more wealth than any time in history the church does. Don't sit there, and I understand there's different levels, but we should never say, I'm not wealthy. I do not. Let me, I'll clarify. Some are more wealthy than others, but you, you shouldn't be thinking that. It's not a matter of how much you have or how much you don't have. Instead, it's what you do with what you have. That's the whole point. Jesus said, earthly treasures anything that is valuable to you, which is perishable or which can be lost one way or another. He says, don't store those things up. Look at verse 19. He gives an illustration. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't do it. It's temporary because, you know, it's it's not going to last. Now, you have to put yourself, anytime we're reading the Bible... One of the things we have to understand is what could this, what would this mean in, in specifics to the people which this was written to, right? You have to. There's some study that has to go on to understand what would these people consider as wealth in this point in time. I did a little research on that. The first thing, there's three things that they considered in this time period. What was wealth? What meant wealth to them? One was clothing. A great source of wealth in that time was clothing. Most people had what in those times? One thing, and they had a little undergarment underneath it. But if you had more than that, you were... You remember the stories in the Old Testament, and I just kind of went blank here, um, where um, the kings would always offer someone rewarding them, and what was one of the first things they offered them? Many changes of clothing. That was a sign of wealth. And notice what it says there, where moth destroys. How many of you remember Grandma and Grandpa's closet? You'd open that thing up and it'd just be like, jeez. I remember as a kid when I opened the closet, I thought, what in the world is it in there? Mothballs. It was... And my Grandma sat me down and explained, there's these little things that can get your clothes. I said, really? And that keeps them away. She said, oh yeah. I said, "I, I can understand that they would stay... Away. <laughs> but that's, see, in this time period, clothing, and Jesus saying, you accumulate all that stuff, what happens to it? Moths get in it and they eat it up. A second possession of wealth, they considered wealth for them, was produce from their fields. They were, that's in the agrarian context. Everybody, most of the people farmed, the grain they grew. For food is the idea here. Grain was placed in storage areas, accumulated up. And some of you guys are farmers. When you 
pack things into buildings, what has a tendency to get into that stuff and go after it? Mice and rats, right? Notice Jesus' words where rust destroys. The word rust means to eat away. One of the problems of storing up grain was that rats and mice would get in there and eat that grain away. And you're like, well, you still got to have it. That's true. But there's a situation in the Bible that speaks to this. Don't turn there, but in Luke chapter 12, make yourself a note. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, What does he call him? A fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What's he saying? You're going to get all that, but you're going to leave it behind for someone else. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The third thing they uh, was a symbol of wealth was gold, and that's kind of you know that's kind of our our context. We can relate to that. Gold was always subject to who? Who wants your gold? Everybody else, right? Thieves. In ancient times, people lived in houses not like we we have today, but they lived in houses which were made of clay. And what I've understand is thieves would kind of come to these houses and they'd do what? They'd punch holes in those clay houses and they'd crawl in there and they would take away your gold. He says, break through and steal. That's where that breakthrough word comes from. They'd break through the walls of the house and they would steal. The question we need to ask ourselves is, how is this relevant for us today? What, how can we possibly make this relevant for us today? You may be thinking, those things people consider to be sources of wealth, that, that's not for us today. The idea here is not the specific sources of wealth. Jesus' point is that material wealth has an uncertain, short-lived nature. And if we put our trust and dedicate ourselves to accumulating fleeting, temporary positions, we discover that those kinds of riches are temporary and they don't endure. And what is Jesus saying to His people? Do not lay up for yourselves. Because if you do, if your goal in life is to accumulate things for yourself, those things are going to what? Perish. They're going to go away. Now, let's stop here for a second. What does Jesus not forbid? What does He forbid? Don't lay up in excess so that your life will be more comfortable, things that are going to perish. They're not going to last. But here's what Jesus does not forbid. Now listen to me carefully. Laying up treasure on earth does not mean that a person should not make provision for the future. It's not wrong to accumulate money. And you're going, I'm relieved. It's not wrong to accumulate possessions which are then invested in causes for the kingdom. It's not wrong to do that. It's not wrong to have money and plan for the future. That's not what's being talked about here. But what are God's purposes? We're to, to take what He gives us and we're to use those things for the purposes of God. God's purposes are for you to care for your family and to care for your extended family and even your extended family within the church and to care even for those who are not of the family of God but are in need. 
That's biblical for us to do that. God's purposes are for you to invest in the salvation of the nations. That's one of the biggest reasons He gives us what He gives us. These things are needful uses of what God gives us. Jesus is not forbidding a bank account, a savings account, a life insurance policy, a wise investment. He's not forbidding those things. He's not saying you shouldn't possess anything. That's not what He's saying. He's not saying that you're to have no treasure. Nor is He saying that you may only have heavenly treasure and that you value nothing in this life. Instead, He's directing you to make wise choices with what you have. And He's saying to you, be careful with temporary things because they're not going to last. Don't replace the things which ought to be first in this life with things that are going to perish. Don't do that. Don't lay up things that are going to perish. Now, what do we take away from this? It's simple. Earthly treasure is what? Temporary. And it will be lost. Verse 19 tells us that you're a foolish to spend your life pursuing treasure that is short-lived. And what do we do? We give our lives to those things. Jesus says in verse 19, don't set your heart on temporary treasure. Don't do that. Now, look at me. Everybody understands what I've said, right? It's not wrong to have money to lay up for the future, right? Everybody nod your head. I heard him say that. It's not wrong for me to have money. It's not wrong for me to invest. It's not wrong for me to have a 401k at my workplace. Praise God for retirement. But it's temporary things that we give our lives to that are what? Going to disappear one day. They'll never last. And let me tell you something, parents. As someone who's 54 years old, still got a lot to learn, let me tell you something. You had better teach your kids this when they're little. I'm telling you. We live in a time, and again, we provided for our son. We gave him the things that we thought he needed. And as foolish parents, sometimes we gave him what? The things he didn't need. We all do that. But I'm telling you, you better teach your children this principle. Because they'll grow up and they'll think that everything is a need. And they'll give their lives to pursuing things that will not last. Teach them young, right? Because once they get to about what? Ten, it's over with. You can't tell them nothing. <laughs> right? From one to five, mama and daddy's the smartest people in the world. From then on, you're stupid. You don't know nothing. <laughs> you don't know anything. Verse 20, Jesus tells us, place your highest value on eternal treasure. He says, but... Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here in verse 20, what's the first word we see? But. That means contrast, right? Don't do this, but do this. Now Jesus says what? Do accumulate. Do stockpile. Do lay up excess. Because this treasure will what? Last forever. Now, what are heavenly treasures? That may be a question that's going through your mind. Well, Jesus doesn't explain here. He doesn't tell us exactly what that is. But looking at the context, it's most likely anything done on earth which has effects that last for eternity. I think that's what the point is. And I don't want to speculate what I think earthly treasures might be. I have some ideas, but 
their ideas. Anything done on earth whose effects last into eternity. Overall, it refers to using what God has given us and other material things for kingdom purposes. A Christian lays up treasure in heaven by seeking the kingdom of God. How do we lay them up? We seek the kingdom of God. If you're seeking the kingdom of God and the purposes of God, then you will lay up treasures toward that. Quickly. Hmm. My clock moves fast. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. As quickly as I can. 1 Timothy 6. What I just said, I I, I want to give a, a biblical argument. Using what God has given you for eternal things. Do lay up treasure in heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, and by the way, I just gave you an example. We're all in that. Some are richer than others. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of rich. What does he say about riches? They're what? They're uncertain. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. According to verse 17, we have wealth, but we're not to be proud about it, right? We're not to trust in it. What are we to do with it? Look at verse 18. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to... Adults don't even like that word when it comes to money. Kids don't like the word share. Adults don't like it when it comes to money. Jesus' instruction for us regarding our, our money and our wealth is that we distribute and we share as opposed to storing up in excess or stockpiling. Look at verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the... What's that next word? Future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Storing up treasure for themselves. Storing up. Here is the same word that we see in Matthew. In verse 18 we saw what it means to lay up treasure in heaven there in 1 Timothy. It means to distribute, to share the riches God has given to us. And notice what it said in verse 19. As a result of storing up treasure for... Who are you storing up the treasure for? Yourself, themselves. Verse 19 tells us we put together a what? A good foundation for the future. And we take hold of all that which is truly life. That which is truly life is the fullness of the meaning of our eternal life. So here's what I think is going on between those two passages. Your temporary, temporal resources, your wealth, they're to be used in your activities or to be viewed as to how they may have eternal consequences. Now everybody understand me. You put up money in savings, you invest, you take care of your family, and you do those things, right? This is yes. We do those things. But I'm to view all that God gives me from an eternal perspective. What do I mean by eternal perspective? God's mission in this world to have a people for Himself who will live in His place in a new heaven and a new earth under His rule for all eternity. That's what we look for. If God's plan is to have a people for Himself living in His place, living under His rule for all eternity, then you should use the resources He has blessed you with toward that end. 
What God gives you is not for storing up treasure on earth because what happens to that treasure? Moss eat it up. Thieves break in and steal. It doesn't last. I want to give you an example of someone I know that I think demonstrates this. I know them. Debbie may remember them when she hears their name. And I want to qualify this illustration by saying everyone... Listen, everyone is not called to the mission field, right? Everyone's not called, so don't say, well, i got to be like these people. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think the illustration shows us how we should use our resources for the kingdom of God. That's the point. You understand that, right? Truett and Cindy Abbott, they are missionaries in Africa. They're my age. Both retired from the military... And then they retired from the postal service. Some of you are going, four pension checks? You, you, you did the math, right? They both get a pension check from each retirement. Four pension checks. And you're going, man, wouldn't that be great? All I got to do is sit on the couch. I can even hire somebody to go to the mailbox and get my checks for me. <laughs> I don't even have to get up. They can go get my checks for me. Did you hear what I said they did? They are missionaries. They used their own money to fund their mission efforts. They worked through an organization, but they used their money, their own money, to fund themselves on the mission field. Some of you are going, man, I could do a lot with four pension checks. Right? We could store up a lot of earthly treasure, right? But what are they storing up? Eternal treasure. What is Jesus telling us to take away here? I think we take away... Choose heavenly treasure. That's what we choose. Jesus is teaching that heavenly treasures are safe. Heavenly treasures can't be taken away from you. They're eternal. It's a sure investment. Most of us, or some of us in here, may invest, right, in the stock market. But there's always that what? There's always that feeling on the inside that like, man, tomorrow the bottom could fall out and I lose everything. Right? Guess what? What you store up in heaven, it's good. It, there's nothing ever going to happen to it. Jesus says, lay up. Notice what he said. Lay up for who? Yourselves. Jesus is commanding us to do what is in our own best interest. You're laying these up for yourself. Verse 21. Notice the, the test of the two treasures. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be what? As well. The word for, because, gives us the reason behind Jesus' exhortation. A man's interests are where his investments are. Your affections are naturally drawn to what? What you treasure. If you tre- if your treasure is God, then your interest is going to be where? Heavenly things. But if your treasure is money or possessions, then your investments will be where? Everything here. Once again, I want to clarify something here. I want to make something clear. It's not wrong to have money, investments to save for retirement, or to have earthly things. It's not wrong to save for the predictable needs of the future, but Jesus says it's wrong to do what? Store them up in excess to accumulate them on yourselves. Anything you save beyond meeting your future needs, any earthly possessions you accumulate should be thought of as being used for God's purposes. Verses 22 through 23, as quick as I can possibly go through this. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is saying here, here's two visions. Be on guard as to where you fix your heart. Verses 22 and 23, notice the word I. Jesus uses I as a metaphor referring to the heart. That's what he's talking about. In particular, the eye is the spiritual metaphor. The eye is the heart, is the lamp, is the lens of the body. The heart is the eye of the soul to which light comes in. That's what he's saying. It's the only means of light that we have. It's our only means of vision. Notice there are two possible visions. First, the eye is what? It's healthy. The word healthy some of you may have translations that have the word clear or good, has the idea of something that is healthy as it relates to being single-minded in devotion or generous. Single-minded in your devotion or generous. Healthy. In other words, eyes that see correctly, eyes that are devoted to one purpose, eyes that see and give generously. The eye that is healthy here in verse 20 represents a heart that has a single-minded devotion toward doing what? Storing up treasure in heaven. Jesus says that's what kind of heart? That's a healthy heart that does that. Verse 22 continues by saying, the eye, the heart is healthy, clear, good. If the heart is healthy, single-minded, then the whole body will be what? Full of life. Jesus says the condition of the eye, the heart affects the whole body. It affects the whole person. If your heart is healthy, single-minded devotion, your whole spiritual life, your whole spiritual life will be flooded with spiritual understanding. What I think Jesus is saying, if you fix your eyes on this world and the treasures of this life as a Christian, it does damage to your what? Your spiritual life. Verse 23. Here's the alternative. But if your eye is bad... What's the result? Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the eye is bad, if it's diseased or damaged, and I'm, I'm talking from a physical, real eye this time, to try to make the point, if that eye is damaged or if it's diseased, what happens? No light can get in, right? If our hearts are weighed down with material concerns, earthly treasure, they become blind and insensitive to spiritual things. The word bad has the idea of a heart that is self-indulgent or materialistic or greedy. A person who lays up treasure on earth. Verse 23, Jesus again says, The condition of the eye, the heart, affects the whole body. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. The result of a bad eye is a whole body. The entire person being full of darkness. It affects you spiritually, your whole life. Notice how verse 23 ends. If then the light in you is darkness... What does it say? How great is the darkness. The darkness, the spiritual, the spiritually, excuse me, disoriented life is especially dreadful if the person deceives himself. In other words, if he thinks his eye is good when it's bad, he talks himself into believing that his nominal loyalty to the kingdom is genuine, when in fact it's just shallow and fake. That's what Jesus is saying. What do we take away quickly from verses 22 and 23? The way you handle your finances, the way you handle your wealth, affects every other part of your life. Either good or bad. 
How you handle your money, your wealth, is key to your spiritual perception. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's look at last, verse 24, quickly. Two masters. Choose whom you are going to serve. You see how Jesus sends this? Don't lay up. Do lay up. Choose. And by the way, if you belong to me, there's only one choice. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some of you have translations that use the word mammon. The word master here is the word in Greek, it's called kurios. And it means Lord. That's what that word means. Master, Lord. The word master suggests a slave owner who requires total allegiance. What this meant in this time period for the slave was that the slave owner had complete control of that person. For the slave, there was no partial or part-time commitment to his master. It was all in. In other words, a slave could not hold down multiple jobs. He was slave to who? One person. How then does this apply to us? As we read the New Testament, we see for ourselves, the Christian, that Jesus is referred to as what? Lord and Master. And we are His what? Slaves. The Christian can't claim allegiance to Jesus at the same time allegiance to anything else, especially himself. Jesus says it's impossible to serve Him in anything else. No one can serve two masters. What or who are the two masters? What are they? God and money. Is that, that, I don't know about you. There's sometimes I read the Bible and I'm going, man, I'm hard-headed as a person I've ever been. I read, and I get that. I'm just like, you either serve one or the other. You can't serve both. And I think the word money, wealth, or mammon is not just limited money. It refers to all of a person's material resources. Everything. Verse 24. Jesus gives a reason for why we can't serve two masters. Notice it. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, always tells us, do this, don't do this. And there's always a reason why. It's for our benefit. For either He will hate the one and love the other, or He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says people try to cherish God and... What? Money. But in the end, what's going to happen? You're going to choose one of them. You can't have them both. Jesus is a person who will hate and despise one or he'll love and be devoted to the other. Love and devotion, hate, despise, have the idea of what? Choosing, right? To hate, to despise one of the two masters and to love and be devoted to the other simply means that the latter has a stronger pull. Jesus is saying here in verse 24, no one can be at the same time devoted to God and devoted to what? Money. It's impossible. It cannot be done. Because what's going to happen in the end? You're eventually going to what? Choose one or the other. It can't be both. Jesus is saying to us today, be on guard concerning what you value. We've got to always guard ourselves. And as your pastor, guess what? I struggle with this as much as anybody else does. I have to guard myself. When I was in seminary, you talk, you hear seminary students talk about how poor they are. 
And to a certain extent, that's true. But seminary students got to guard themselves once they get out from what? Going right back to maybe not being as poor and beginning to get their eyes on the things of the world. Be on guard concerning what you value. Number two, watch where you fix your heart. You've got to watch that. And then lastly, he says, you've got to choose whom you're going to serve. And by the way, Jesus said, if you belong to me, there's only what? One choice. And it's got to be me. Let me give you some application quick. Two words, and then just a little bit of elaboration on that. And here's what I've learned, and I'm still learning. I've not arrived, okay? Here's the application. Live simple. Live simple. View what God has given you, your resources, to be used for His kingdom. God does not prosper you and I in order for us to consume that upon ourselves. If God has a plan to redeem people to Himself, then what should be our focus with what He gives us? People coming to Christ. Practically, evaluate your lifestyle. What was the what was the application? Live simple. Evaluate your lifestyle. Evaluate for change. I do that constantly. Stop trying to keep up with the world's standards. Number two, make giving a priority. You're thinking, I knew that preacher would get to that point. Make giving a priority. God prospers you not to raise your standard of living but to raise your standard of giving. That's biblical. That ain't coming from me. God doesn't prosper us for us to raise our standard of living. He gives it to us to raise our standard of giving. And we saw that last week. Are there any good reasons why I should live a more simple life? I'm going to give you three. Living a simple life will cure the sin of materialism. Giving away what you don't need is the greatest cure for materialism in the world. Giving away what you don't need. Number two, living a simple life gains for you the reward God promises for storing up heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. And lastly, living a simple life is necessary. This is more important than any other. Living a simple life is necessary because of the terrible spiritual need of our world. Jesus is calling His disciples, He's calling us to make a choice. And what's the choice, church? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the world with its resources and what I give you? Are you going to store those up? Are you going to hoard those? Are you going to make your life more comfortable? Or are you going to serve me and my purposes in this world of reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel that people may know me? Let's pray.